the blitz. Here it comes. It looks good. He likes it. Nigel Owen's arm goes Welcome back to the Four Idle Hands podcast. Welcome back, Terry. A sense of excitement and anticipation about the Rugby World Cup has certainly overcome us. I, I am quite excited. I mean, um, it starts in probably just over a week's time and on this. But so, yes, definitely excited. Uh, four years since the last one, which didn't end that great for the teams we support, particularly. No. <laughs> um, I'm not even sure it's going to be any different this time, frankly. I, I, I'm actually, I mean, I think for... I know we're going to talk about Ireland and we'll talk about, about Scotland, but for those two teams, the Rugby World Cup, I think Scotland got to semi final once, but Ireland have never particularly done well. Yeah. In it. So and I'm a bit of a dread in that sort of thing. Yeah. They've always looked a bit nervous at the tournament and uh, uh, injuries to players have really cost them dear in the past. I think it's maybe a stronger squad this time, but we'll talk a bit more about them. But we've got somebody much more qualified to talk than just little old you or me, Terry. Absolutely. The chief rugby correspondent of the Irish Independent, who will be attending the tournament throughout. Ladies and gentlemen, here's our interview with Rory O'Connor. We're delighted to be joined uh, on this Four Idle Hands rugby special podcast by Rory O'Connor, who's chief uh, rugby correspondent with the Irish Independent. You're very welcome, Rory. Thanks, lad. We're going to talk in due course a wee bit about uh, Ireland's participation in the World Cup. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about um, a couple of things that happened over the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, particularly in the, the first instance, the Rugby Championship, which has uh, finished recently with uh, New Zealand retaining their uh, title. Um, they're on a decent winning run now, Rory, but what's going to happen to them when they run into a side that can maybe kick a bit better and compete at the breakdown in a way that maybe the Wallabies and the Springboks didn't? It's a good question. I, I think certainly their their wins over Argentina and Australia were, you would question how badly they were tested. Certainly the first game against Australia and the opening game where they were like Argentina just didn't show up. Well, like they're they're a better team than they showed that day. So I do think that the the um, depth of the rugby championship right now, I think the balance of power effectively lies in the Six Nations at the moment and the two best teams in the world over the last four years have been France and Ireland. Um, that doesn't mean the gap is massive. And, I, you know, their win over South Africa was very impressive, especially that first 20 minutes. Um, and while South Africa weren't at their best, they're still a, a hell of a rugby team. And across the kind of middle of the game, they brought physical dominance and, and rested control back everywhere but the scoreboard. And yet New Zealand still had enough to finish that off. And that was a sign, I think, of a few things. I think the Schmidt now has an influence that that's much greater than, than the role of an assistant in that setup. I think he is, you know, he's he's got a very, I wouldn't quite call him a de facto head coach, but he's very influential. And I think a lot of what he's implementing and Jason Ryan, the other assistant they brought in last year is very strong. So, and look, we all know how good Joe Schmidt is and how his attention to detail gets through to players. And you could see that in the New Zealand approach. And that makes them very dangerous because they're incredibly talented they're wonderful rugby players and it just needed to be, they weren't that organized when they were playing Ireland in the series. So I do think you're right to say that, you know, maybe they weren't tested as much as they could have been in that tournament because as I say, Argentina and Australia didn't bring great performances, but it, it is quite clear that they are on an upward curve and they're timing the run quite well going into the tournament. 
but we'll find out a lot about them. The opening night against France will be a real test of where they are. Yeah. And if we compare them uh, possibly favourably with um, Australia, who've got, you know, new head coach and Eddie Jones, who's, uh, you, you know, he's come from being a bit of a disruptive influence uh, in the English setup, you know, in terms of uh, uh, maybe uh, junking players, and you know, dropping them and recalling them. And, you know, he, he's just announced his... Uh, Squad for the tournament. He's decided to leave out Michael Hooper, who has um, admittedly a calf injury, and Quade Cooper. Um, they're both in the mid thirties, and I suppose you could say that maybe they wouldn't have the same level of influence in games uh, as the younger selves would do. But this squad looks like it's lacking a bit of experience. I would say. Yes, I think this squad has been picked really with twenty twenty seven in mind. You know that they. Australia feel like they need a bit of a shock to the system, a, a reboot. And, you know, when you change coach, like you've got one side of the draw where you have four, five teams who are really well constructed across four years. And then it's the other side of the draw where it's absolute chaos. And you've got three, te- four teams who've changed coaches in the last year. And Australia were the last to go when they sacked Dave Rennie and, and put Jones in charge. And, you know, he's had four games so far. It's, it's, it's too, cl- it's too tight to put together a, a, a World Cup winning team if they're ever going to do it, but like he's got young talent and they've got a home world cup in five years time and sorry, four years time. So I think there's a bit of that, a bit of looking forward, but there's also a knowledge that on the side of the draw they're on, if they can get it right in two or three games, they can get to a semi-final. And once you're there, you've got a chance to go on. So like, he's got a good record of world cups. I think it's slightly overdone, but you know, he hasn't ever won one, but he, you know, he has done well at world cups before. We know he can get a tune out of a team a bit like Schmidt, he can also drive players mad over a concerted period of time, but he's very early in this in this time in charge. So I think that won't be a factor this time. Whether he's still getting a tune out of him in four years, we'll see. But like I think all all like there's there's about there's four teams I think can win it, maybe five. But I think Australia, like the the four teams on Ireland side or the five teams on Ireland side of the draw, whoever comes through that could be on their last legs by the time you get to a semi-final. So you don't necessarily have to be quality for across four years to win a World Cup. You just have to get it right on the on the on the, that summer. And, and someone like Jones knows the territory. Razi Erasmus knows the territory. You know, Michael Cech is the Argentina coach. Gatland, you know, these are all experienced figures who can put together a run. So, you know, he used that rugby championship to build a squad to find out about players. He wielded his axe on the eve of the tournament. I don't see them winning it, but they're like they're still dangerous. You wouldn't. Oh, there are teams you would you you would prefer to play them than other teams, but at the same time, they're they're they they you can't take them lightly. And there's about seven or eight teams who you can't take lightly in a in a big game. What 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 we had this question to come up later on, but I'll just ask it now. But the, the rugby World Cup, the draw for it, and they did it in 2020 with completely different ranking. Now I don't understand how that works particularly, or why they did it then and not did it now, because the draw now would be completely different and probably more competitive like you say the first game New Zealand you know against uh, France the, the Irish games with Scotland and South Africa and then the other side like you say complete chaos I mean why did they do it so early it, it's it's very banal and not and and uh not very sporting reason it's done for hotel bookings sale <laughs> ticket sales and that sort of things it's so they can coordinate the tournament and organize it three years in advance in order to deliver 
this is um, this is the world will be answered. It's not you know I, I, don't, oh, yeah, I don't think it's yeah. right that they do it this way, but they do it that way so that they can deliver a, t- a tournament with full stadiums. It's the last time it will go like this. They are going to do the, the draw later in the cycle in in for that Australia tournament four years time. So they know that they got this wrong. I mean, look, we're three Irish guys talking on a podcast. It's a disaster for Ireland. Like you know, you would it, it, obviously if they get out of it, it's brilliant. But like it, this is probably the best chance Ireland have ever had to get to a semi final. And to do so, they have to beat either the hosts or the All Blacks in a quarterfinal, having come out of a pool with South Africa and Scotland. And Tonga are, are decent as well. So it's a very big challenge. I guess if you're if you're a TV executive, it means you've got ga- interesting games from the first weekend right through. So it doesn't actually, you know, if you're if you're sitting in whoever the broadcasters are looking to sell the tournament, it actually makes life very interesting. And then you've got the chaos on the other side. So it makes it a fascinating tournament. But it doesn't make it very fair. No, it doesn't reward the form of those teams over the four years uh, in any way. So, no. yeah, it's 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 the, that's the reason. But it's it's a joke. Like everyone knows it's yeah. a joke. And, but no. it actually will make this a really interesting tournament at the same time. Well, I think so. And just for disclosure, I I'm currently selling in Aberdeen, and I am a season ticket holder at Scotland. Um, which I only bought because it's the only way to get a ticket for the Ireland game, by the way. But I just kept on, <laughs> kept on going. Ever since, so my work is a fun place to be for the next month. I've got my trickler up now. Actually, Michael, you'd be glad to hear it at all. So. Good. <laughs> um, so before we go on, though, so the, the hot news of this week, obviously, was old Mister Farrell, who we, we did briefly talk about. I mean, how did he escape that red card? Or and it was rescinded because the same thing happened to Figerson a couple weeks before. And uh, but I mean, how how did that happen? Was it a technicality or? Like the the reason they they rescinded the or they downgraded back to a yellow um was because in the build up to the tackle in the sec in the split second leading up Jamie George the England hooker gets a hand on or kind of gets a bit of a tackle on Tame Basham the Wales player which alters his course slightly like I think I I don't agree with this but this is what the reasoning was okay. altered his course so much that they think that Farrell. Wasn't you know the Farrell, if if he hadn't altered his course, Farrell's tackle wouldn't have been as high and wouldn't have caught him square in the jaw. Now look, I think that the the, the the contact was negligible. I you know every time I look at it, I think red card. I think it, it's exactly the kind of challenge that rugby's supposed to be trying to get rid of. It's set like it's the ramifications from this decision, which is not a world rugby decision. It's made by a, a, a panel of Australian and um, disciplinary judges, two former internationals and one uh, senior counsel. Who were employed by Six Nations who are running these games? Like it's a, it's a, it's a mess. It's a complete mess. Even that, the fact that I'm trying to exp- having to explain that just shows how <laughs> convoluted and broken the system is. But now World Rugby are dealing with the ramifications of it undermines their approach to player welfare. It undermines their their system whereby they now have a, a bunker where you issue a yellow card. It goes to a TMO. He has ten minutes to think about it, watch replays, and then decide whether it's a red or a yellow, which is coming at the World Cup. Now they decided that the TMO who had that time and space got it wrong as well, so that undermines that. And then if you're Owen Farrell, which no one, no one's putting themselves in the shoes for understandable reasons because everyone thinks he's got lucky. But if that's the World Cup semi-final and he gets a red card for something that actually was a yellow, mm. like the ramifications that are huge as well. So for it to happen this close to the tournament is very worrying. I think his lawyers are the big winners out of this because <laughs> if they can get him out of that scenario. And even the fact that you can bring a senior counsel, you know, a, a, a barrister to a disciplinary hearing, look like Ireland did with Johnny Sexton, you know, it just makes a bit of a mockery. Like with FIFA and football, they're not a great, you know, they're not the greatest organization in the world, but they do have basically if you get sent off, you get a three game ban, a five game ban, you've no course to appeal. And it's everyone accepts it. It's it's frustrating. And if you know, like but I think 
rugby's just it's too convoluted and it's it's leading to such amount of grey area. Um, it's I, I think it's it's a really poor look for the sport at a yeah. time where everyone's looking at it and it's, yeah. it could be really damaging. It was funny. So I went to the Scotland France game at Murrayfield, which was what two weeks ago, and the yellow card for Faker. Was it Faker? Yellow mm-hmm. card. So he was sitting in, in, the, in the sitting there. I was ten minutes out, and then all of a sudden on the screen. It, there was a little message saying this has been upgraded to a red card, and it, it wasn't explained very well in the stadium. And everybody, you could hear this kind of hum around the stadium as people were like, "What?" They could they, there wasn't people who hadn't maybe followed rugby that closely and didn't realize that yeah. was the rule. And it just seemed absolutely. That's interesting because I haven't. It hasn't happened in an, a game I've been at yet, so I'm interested to hear what what it was like as a fan because if it's not a, like I think they have to start introducing what they have in NFL where that you can hear what the referees are saying yeah. to each other in the stadium. If even if like I mean the fact that you're, you're being charged. Something like twelve euro. I don't know what yeah. it is in Murrayfield to buy a ref link. Like on top of your hundred and hundred euro odd ticket, it's a rip off. Like it, yeah. the fans should be the ones who are informed. And like that's like the, if the people in the stadium don't know what's going on, the sport is missing missing well, a trick. The guy two doors down from me, he had the ref link in, but it didn't. He it didn't come from there. Just it was on the screen, and they've got these two little small screens, and and that was it. And then it was like red card. Yeah, and right. a bit of a disagreement. Sorry. Yeah, and the the other thing, Rory, uh, uh, is that. Um, uh, you know, there's a lack of consistency here. You know, we see that, you know, name players like Farrell getting maybe the, um, you know, benefit of the doubt. Uh, whereas you've got, you know, Tongan centre, um, a guy um, called Moala, who's never been sent off in 14 seasons of playing rugby and he gets 10 weeks for what I'd describe as, you know, a medium range tip tackle. I mean, that just doesn't seem to be um, yeah, fair. Yeah. I- like George Moal is a former All Black who, you know, I wonder if he was wearing a black jersey, not a red jersey, would he have got the same sanction? Now, yeah. what New Zealand would have been able to bring, I heard Bernard Jackman make this point earlier, New Zealand would have had a barrister with them, whereas the less resourced teams maybe don't have the same amount of league. Like, again, this is crazy that this is a talking point in a sport, but, you know, this is what being a tier one nation gives you. You've got resources. Like, like Ireland will bring a lawyer with them to the World Cup for eight weeks. Because yeah. of these scenarios, they had one to represent Bundiaki after he got sent off against Samoa. You're right; the consistency is not there. the The England captain element is definitely a factor. I do think I don't know. I I haven't seen who was on the panel that that suspended Moala. I do think there's a discrepancy as well between the Southern Hemisphere's approach on head injuries and 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 high tackles and the Northern Hemisphere's the fact that it was three Australians, which was curious to me in the first place, and um, may have been a factor as well. But like. Like and also like I mean we obviously, obviously if Farrell had been sanctioned and the ban we would be discussing the ban length now and the fact that he has previous because he obviously has carried out acts like this before and been red carded and suspended for and he's been through this tackle school thing that they have and and obviously hasn't learned anything from the experience so there's so many layers to this it's it's a huge incident he, like you know it, it but it, the, the fact I, I just find it bizarre that they went through this process and then changed it again and that the, there's such yeah. inconsistency between yeah. a yellow card being issued by a ref a red card being issued by a guy in a box watching the tv and then it being downgraded to a yellow card by three lads in the committee room a couple of days later having heard legal representation from the from the player like that just isn't a good process no yeah An- another observation sorry terry um uh, you know, from having played rugby uh, in the past, is that you know, in the good old bad old days, you had an offside line which was you know probably a bit further back from uh, uh, the opposition, and you know you had time to sort of plant your tackle in there at a safe uh, height. 
And you can say this is a criticism of Farrell or not, as the case may be. But, you know, he's right on the offside line there. He's upright. He's never really in a position to be able to, to react and, and make a, a fair tackle, is he? He's, he's just mm-hmm. not going to have any momentum that's going to stop the player unless he puts his shoulder in. But like I do think his technique is, is the question as well, because there are players like Josh van der Fleer, Gary Ringrose, who are able to get on the right side of that, who are able to be in the same level of aggression, but who get their body height lower. His style of tackling, I think, is like... I. He has defense coaches telling him that that's the way of his starting. That's the correct starting point. He's expected to be aggressive. He's expected to come up fast in the defensive line. Like I think it's, it is an issue because it cuts down the time and space. But there are players with better technique out there. And while you know it's hard to teach an old dog new tricks, like England keeps selecting him, even though he keeps getting sent off in these scenarios, which is a danger in itself. So, yeah. um, like it's a fair point, but he, like he still should be better. I think she get banned just for that sneer he gave to the camera afterwards, just for that alone. <laughs> and, and the best thing I saw today was um, a, a meme about Trump, where Trump was saying, get me Owen Farrell's lawyer. I thought that was fantastic, you know, for his sort of thing. Oh, there, he's a well, big winner. Yeah, big, big winner. So so moving on, obviously, Rugby World Cup, so that's going to be sort of candy for you for the next sort of 10 weeks. Really. I mean, how much access do you get to sort of coaching staff and stuff at a tournament? Is it just like the... The, the, the corporate sort of run ones or do you get any kind of other side bits or um well it's all kind of it's all through official windows so you know an hour of their schedule is carved out for media on say a monday tuesday wednesday it's actually nearly every day at the world cup i think monday's a down day so there'll be something every day and you're brought into a room at the you know at the moment is at the training camp and they'll set up a top table and they come in and they sit behind that behind that table and we ask questions and there's a small bit of room for interaction around that, but it's quite reasonably formal. And in the good old days from about probably seven, eight years ago, on a Thursday after the team announcement, they bring out a couple of players and, and we'd each, you know, a couple of us would get a one-on-one with them. But that's those days are gone. That's been cut. The RFU have really trimmed down on what they do. I think the RFU are renowned for probably being the least media-friendly of all the different <laughs> unions. It's, it's quite a closed shop they're they're not really that interested in 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 selling their players they're quite happy with what they do and they've actually even trimmed access in the build-up to this world cup and and um so it is quite formal like you do get to know them they know you because they hear you talking about them they know you because you see around the place we used to be in the hotel a bit but actually since andy farrell came in he's pushed it all out of the hotel but that's part of what he's done with the environment they don't do work in the hotel the hotel is a place to relax they do their business at their training center so in terms of access, like if I met Andy Farrell in the street, he lives in, in Sandy Mount, he, you know, he'd stop and chat. He knows who I am. I know who he is. He's pretty, you know, he's, he's, he's a friendly, friendly man. And, and some of them are more friendly than others, depending on what you've written about them over the years. But um, like largely it's all done through quite formal things. Whereas at the provinces, it's maybe a little bit less formal because there's, the stakes are a little bit lower. It's less corporate. There's less people at these things. Often it's just five or six of us in a room and they come in and sit down and chat for 20 minutes. And, Look, sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're not good. You know, the player you kind of have to put yourself in the player's shoes. It's quite can be quite daunting. You know, a room full of forty-year-old men looking at you when you're yeah. a twenty-one-year-old is about to win his <laughs> second cap for Ireland. It's, all I, play, it's a bit like the football players. They're all pretty well schooled on, on what to say and what not to say. Yeah, I actually think they've been told to to loosen up. Not told, but that that certainly a Leinster. They've been encouraged to show a bit more personality. That like, look, don't give out. And I think there's a big thing about not giving the opposition something to put on a dressing room wall but at the same time you know if you're interested in it don't be afraid to show a bit of personality and it's funny that 
the Southern Hemisphere players in the squad, not all of them, but the you know, Mac Hansen is really outgoing, bubbly. Like you said, he hated England before, or everyone hates England before <laughs> the last England game. He's willing to say stuff that's slightly outrageous. You know, he's got tattoos. Like he's just, he doesn't give a damn. And and, and, and like he walks in and he just chats. James Lowe is quite similar. Whereas a lot of the Irish guys are very conscious of what they say and how it will be perceived. And that comes across. But that's fair. Like that's on that. Like ultimately all we can do is ask questions and I can answer them. Yeah. And the formats aren't great sometimes. But like sometimes they just don't want to do it. They want, all, they want to play rugby and they want to, they're very conscious of of representing themselves in a quite a corporate way and that's that's yeah. their prerogative you know but yeah. yeah like we'd like a bit more like one-on-ones chats like this where you're just actually being relaxed and, and kind of a bit, bit less formal you get more out of a player you know you get like and a lot of them have good stories to tell but they don't necessarily get to tell them and then suddenly they retire to write a book and you realize they were actually quite interesting all along <laughs> well, that's one because what going on to that point, obviously, ex rugby players are, are, are have a fairly lucrative. I guess there'll be pundits a go go of the World Cup. We'll be wheeling them all across there. The World Cup. We we did contact. I did contact a couple of um, ex professionals. Got punted to their agents, and um, the some of the prices they quoted to come on. Uh, and I hope this is hope. By the way, I hope you're doing this for free. By the way, Roy. <laughs> the money they wanted for 40 minutes was unbelievable well not unbelievable but it, it was fairly hefty and I thought they're obviously there's a bit of a living for them I suppose now for the next whale because they'll be on every single thing you could imagine sort of thing. yeah no it is I mean it, like having caps in your pocket is lucrative you know um, but again it's their job like it is like it is a professional mm-hmm. game and, and you know media appearances like you're giving yeah. up with your time and stuff so I don't begrudge them and if that's the going right that's the yeah. going right obviously it's hard, it's hard to compete against corporate yeah. corporate dollars but um i don't begrudge that at, at, at all really but yeah no it can be quite yeah. um startling when you hear what some of yeah. some of them are able to command on say the speaking circuit and things like that so Absolutely. It's, it's big so, it's big business yeah so it's interesting i was with a friend uh in uh belfast on sunday turns out his neighbor is ethan mcelroy and two other players i didn't recognize who play for ulster and um i was chatting to ethan actually over the garden fence um outside <laughs> And something I never thought of before, he was talking about, uh, not the World Cup as such, but talking about the Ulster team and Leinster team for the Pro 14 and for the Heineken Cup. And he was saying that you actually won't see a full-strength provincial team or a Scottish team or a Welsh team potentially until after the Six Nations because there'll be World Cup, Heineken Cup, and then Six Nations. So these players, you might not see them until April. Is that, is that going to be an issue for the domestic season, you think? Or? Well, yes. Well, I suppose it depends on how it goes. If they go out in the pool, they will see them all loads. You know, the, the, <laughs> if they win the if they win the World Cup, no one will care. Um, That's yeah, I like. I do think that they'll probably be, you know, they'll largely be out for the the, the Champions Cup games. But yet, yeah, like. We won't see much of them in the URC. Before. I think that's right. I think, like, I mean, look, he knows what he's talking about. He's he's in amongst it. Yeah. I guess the way they'll spin it, and and like it is true. I was talking to a provincial um, development coach today, and he was like, the young players that are coming through are very talented, and also this is their window. So yeah. there is a, another generation of players, and Farrell will be watching that closely because he'll have to infuse the Six Nations squad with players from that generation to replace, you know, Johnny Sexton and these guys, you know, like Sam Prendergast. Brian Gleeson, the stars at under twenty um, World Cup, will yeah. be potentially pressed into service. Now, yes, that is a trade-off, I suppose, of the player welfare scheme that we have in Ireland. I mean, the Premiership players will be back week or two after they play, whether they win the World Cup or not. Um, 
that's the kind of deal we have here. But like, it is a valid concern. I mean, that's a long way away, and it's hard. Like, you know, the provinces still have to sell season tickets to the fans and all that sort of stuff. I suppose the good feeling that would come from a successful World Cup would also fuel their their ticket sales. That's the yeah. idea, anyway. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, sure, I'm sure it will. But yeah, I, was, I hadn't really thought of that, and I thought if you're an Ulster season yeah. ticket holder, it's probably they're probably less impacted than a, than Leinster, for example, but. You may not see, you know, Ian Henderson and you know McCloskey and these guys until, like, say December and the Heineken Cup potentially. So, well, but, like, well, like we're speaking in mid mid August. Like the next season doesn't finish till the end of July. So yeah, sorry, long. the season we've the season we've just started won't finish till the. I think they play South Africa in a two or three test series at the end of the next season. So, like, they do lot. have to be looked after. So there is a trade off. Like it's it's, yeah. it's a very valid concern, but it's a it's just a. Yeah, it's the way the world, unfortunately, and it's it's yeah. one of the things that keeps Ireland successful during it. And yeah. right now, and f- as long as the RFU are in charge, I think the national interest will always trump the kind of the provincial. hundred uh, percent. So, good. And actually, sorry, uh, sorry, Terry. And uh, I mean, one other point is, I mean, you, you said that the Premiership English Premiership players would be expected to be back playing for the clubs very quickly after um, their, you know, elimination or the end of the, the the World Cup. But, I mean, for English clubs and maybe the Welsh regions as well, I mean, it's a financial fight for survival at the moment compared to rugby in Ireland, isn't it? No, it is, yeah, absolutely. It's um, It's been a rough year on both fronts and, and the sustainability of the club game, you know, in the, in the countries, I mean, Wales is union driven, but the clubs are the, the regions are are privately owned, and the trade off there is like they just don't get people to the games. I mean, there's not there's not the interest in the regional game in Wales, and then in England, you know, you have these benefactors who've been propping up the clubs for years who are losing patience, and they just can't, can't seem to get that model right, and um, it's really damaged their ability to compete at European level. It's you know it's cost them you know, lost three clubs in the last year. It's it's fragile, and a World Cup, I think is the kind of thing that can give the sport a lift and try and everyone's trying to piggyback off that. Like you look at France and how they've built their professional game partly in the last four years around the fact that they have this world cup, the clubs have bought into it. They've given the national team more access to players. It's all built around and they're filling stadiums for two divisions. They've 14 teams in their top division. I'm not sure who, how many are in pro do. I think it might be the same, but they, they sell out their grounds as well. It's a really thriving professional rugby landscape. Yeah. England can't figure out how to mirror that. It's very and it's very difficult. And Wales can't quite figure out how to mirror Ireland. And you have to find your own way. But it, like outside of like these games that will sell out stadiums and and will look amazing for the next eight weeks, the sport isn't in a particularly strong place as a professional entity. It's such a small sport played by so few countries that if and England is such a big beast. If things go badly in England, it has such a knock-on effect, even to Ireland because we rely on British broadcasting deals to fund the game and stuff. So it's it's. Oh, yeah. it, constantly moving but it's it is it's like people will be kind of happy that England are doing badly but it actually has a bad knocking effect for for us at the same time yeah yeah and uh, I mean the other thing uh, other observation to make is that uh, you know all the home unions are putting on warm-up matches for for the World Cup one would assume to defray whatever costs that they have um, either in terms of you know running their own unions or, or partly to pay for the World Cup um, performance so I mean, apart from the financial side of it, what are the coaches hoping to gain from these uh, warm-up encounters? Well, I think there's two two things. You've got to get your play, the players' game. I think anyone likes these games, particularly although the Scotland and France games we mentioned earlier have been epic. So, yeah. like you know, it's not, it's not they're not like they're not always awful. But the England Wales ones have been a terrible advertisement for <laughs> for rugby. And Ireland Italy was only okay, but 
you're trying to get a tune up out of your players. Like you're trying, like there's a big discrepancy. The rugby championship allows the Southern Hemisphere teams to build into a World Cup from a competitive um, standpoint, and that that's an advantage, a massive advantage. Whereas up here, we got to play friendlies, and and nobody likes them, but they kind of have to do it. And Ireland have chosen to go with three this year. Most teams have gone with four, but I think Farrell's basing that on his previous experience. You know, players get injured. We've seen Antimac. We've seen uh, Jack Van Portfleet. Mm. You know, Jack Conan's in trouble with Ireland. Like, there are negative impacts on it. Like, fans go to them, but and they're charging an awful lot of money for them, but the experience isn't brilliant by and large, but they're kind of a necessary evil. I think you have to... You can't go into a World Cup cold, and it's the best way anyone's figured out of doing it, but really, you know, they're, they're just... And like they're interesting because we're all trying to pick our thirty-three man squad, and you're looking at what Keith Earls did versus Jacob Stockdale, or yeah. you know Joe McCarthy goes well. Suddenly he's in the frame to go when everyone had him outside their squad. So there are things we can glean from them, but you know at the same time it's a phony war. Really, we're all waiting for the big show to start. I mean, I mean the Ireland England game on Saturday night, which is five thirty. Uh, that's never a friendly, so I mean that's a tough no. one, and, and you don't want to get. The one thing you want to avoid is is being derailed because four years ago Ireland went to Twickenham, got beaten fifty seven fourteen, I think it was, yeah. and it was like that. Like people have spoken and written about it since that one was a massive negative impact on Ireland's World Cup campaign. I mean they recovered to beat Scotland, but their confidence was was already low going over there. It didn't do them any use. Yeah, yeah, uh, and the uh, the other game that worry me would be well, actually, it's probably. There's going to be a small part in the back of the players' uh, minds when they're playing Samoa that, you know, I just want to get through this in one piece, uh, such as their lusty tackling. And um, you wouldn't blame them for that, would you? Very so close and yet. Like, like they're, in, they're in for two very physical games. You know, they, they've got England and Dublin on Saturday night, you know, led by Owen Farrell, who's, who's cleared to play. I mean, the team hasn't been named yet as we speak, but I would expect them to, to be involved. You know, England... You know, don't take prisoners. They're they're a strong team that they're trying to build. Like you have players, England have named their squad, so now they're competing for positions. But like their stakes are high for these players, even though the result doesn't really matter. Um, and the players are really fit and really tuned up. But also, like there's players out there who know that they need to perform and they're desperate to play. So it's a really tough dynamic. And we've seen over the years that it can it can lead to injury. And like Samoa is a dangerous fixture. Like like Samoa are a good team because of the eligibility law rule changes over the last couple of years they've been able to repatriate a couple of former all blacks and, and a wallaby or two as well into their into their ranks so they have a lot of experience in their team they're physically very strong they're better than they were four years ago when ireland hammered them so like they'll cause and again like they're they have players in there who won't like they don't want to get red cards before world cup either but they will be trying to show physicality so that the coach takes them to a world cup i'm not sure when they name their squad but ireland don't name their squad until the monday after that game so players might want to get through it, but they still have to impress Andy Farrell if, if they want to go and be picked on the Monday. So it's tricky. That's all the it Scotland, is tricky. The Scotland score got announced today, and um, Ben Healy was in it, and certainly the game at Murrayfield against France, he he was absolutely fantastic. Which is disappointing to me because I think he he would have had a place in the Ireland squad. I mean, what what why was that? Really? What do you think he got just didn't fit? Or? It's yeah, it's funny. Like I suppose Ben Healy is. He was picked ahead of Jack Crowley by Munster at mm. the start. So he's a year older than Jack Crowley. They're kind of always been rivals coming up in underage grades. Um, you know, he was the 20s out half one year. Crowley was 20s out half last year. I think Munster promoted Healy early under Van Gran, who was more conservative coach. But Ireland always liked the look of Crowley. And um, Farrell's quite stubborn in terms of when he picks someone. Like He has a very good eye for a player. 
and he never seemed to like he never had Healy in one camp. Like he had Crowley in early, he never had Healy in the camp. Um, he's picked six or seven out halves. Healy was never one of them. So uh, Healy looked at that and like he was getting his mother's Scottish, so he was getting mm-hmm. loads yeah. of love from the SRU who knew like everyone. <laughs> Everyone who has a second passport, their agent lets, lets the other country know that, that, that that's a, that's an option. And <laughs> the SRU knew early on. I think he, I interviewed him in June and he was saying he, they were onto him at 18 and they were onto him constantly. And he was getting no love from Ireland. He's half Scottish. It's part of his identity. Yeah. Um, and he he chose to go. And, and like he had an offer on the table for Munster. But like Gregor Townsend, I think after they played Glasgow in, in a URC game, came and met him in the hotel and took him for coffee and said, "I want, I want, like I think you're good enough to get to the World Cup with us." And like he'd never been in an Ireland squad once, so it's it's a loss for Ireland. It's a loss for Munster because he's had to leave Munster, and he's he's definitely good enough to play, you know, be a leading player for them. And as he gets older and more mature, he looks like he could play international rugby for an awful long time. Is he better than the players in Ireland squad right now? You could debate that he. That he is, but I think Crowley's looking the real deal, and Ross Byrne has been very good over the last year, and obviously Sexton is Sexton. But you know, Ireland isn't that big a country with that many playing resources that we could be turning down international quality tens. And you know, if he kicks the winning goal on uh, October, whatever it is, in, oh. in the final pool game, we might oh. all regret it. Like he's, he looks like one that got away, really. But at yeah. the same time, we had the opportunity to pick him, and and, and never did. The the guys around me at Murrayfield were when they put the team on the on the screen before you know, people knew he was starting were not happy about an ex Ireland player playing for Scotland. The time the game had finished, different attitude because he played really fantastically well, and they thought, oh, that's great, love it. So you know, if you lose, you're right. If you win, they're all happy. Actually, so yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, um, just moving on to the tournament itself, uh, Rory. So kicks off in Paris on the eighth of September with. Uh, a match for the purest, I think, France against the All Blacks. You you alluded to it earlier that you know we we, we know pretty well uh, how good New Zealand are with, with with that game. I'm thinking you know the, the winner of that game might well win the tournament. Um, uh, France are are my pick for the tournament. Um, is there anything that um would swing you towards New Zealand in that game? Oh, like I think they've got a very good chance. I mean, New Zealand started the 2019 World Cup against South Africa and the loser of that game won the tournament. So um, both of them are coming out of the pool and South Africa put the the things they learned in that game to good, to good use and came out on top at the end. So I don't, think it, I, I don't think it will set the tone for either of them. I mean, at the end of the day, Italy are the only other kind of big team in that pool and they're going to get past Italy. So you're talking about you're either playing Ireland or South Africa or Scotland. Uh, in a quarter final, probably Ireland or South Africa, and like you know, it doesn't really matter. Like both of those teams, it doesn't really matter whether they finish first or second because I still would prefer to play New Zealand in a quarter final personally because it's in France and I think the overwhelming, you know, you'd have a big Irish support there for an Ireland All Blacks game. It'd be very hard for Irish people to get tickets for an Ireland France game. All those factors as well, but from an, like that game is just going to set the tone for the whole tournament. I think like the Ireland, the sorry, the France New Zealand game. I think it was 2021 they last met in the, in November, and that was a magnificent spectacle, unbelievable game of rugby. France has been building towards this. I think the atmospheres are going to be off the charts over there, and I think it will really kick things off in style. And yes, you have two of the... They're the two favourites in the bookies. They're probably... I mean, I, I know Ireland are number one in the world, but everyone's a bit concerned about Ireland's ability to get through the tournament unscathed and come out the other end, because we've ne- never demonstrated... Like, our depth is obviously a smaller country. It's harder to get through it, but um, it's... 
like either of those teams could go on and win it easily, comfortably. So, uh, and you throw in Ireland and South Africa into that mix as well. So it's it, it like it, it will set the tone, but I don't think it really will impact. If they meet again in a final, I'm not sure that first game will really be relevant. So what do you think yeah. Andy Farrell brings to it that that will make Ireland any better than the, the previous years? Whether I mean four years ago, I was looking at my 2019 Rugby World Cup shirt today and tearing, crying over it, thinking that was a disaster. So what what do you think he's going to be? What's better this time, or or more prepared, or? I think mentally they're stronger. Um, I think what he he had the benefit of being he's, he's been part of World Cups pretty much his entire adult life, whether it's in rugby league or rugby union. Some of them haven't gone very well. You know, he got to a final as part of a squad in 07. You know, he was part of the 15 disaster in the, the pool stages under as an assistant to Lancaster. He was there under Smith in 19. And I think he's taken bits and pieces. Like what he like the players love that environment. They love being part of it. They 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 loved winning under Joe Schmidt, but I don't think they loved the environment. They didn't love spending time in camp. And I think that's a big difference, especially when you have to be away for four, five, six, seven weeks in a in a foreign country, you know. Like in Japan, they really they looked and sounded miserable every time we talked to them. And then you go to other teams' camps, and they were really enjoying being at the World Cup. I think Farrell will embrace the World Cup um, experience more. He'll, you know, there will be families in in, in tour where they're based that you know that, that he will allow them to spend some time away from the bubble of, of rugby. They will have time to decompress. He's also a, a very good communicator and leader in his own style. He has built a game plan over four years that's caused other teams incredible problems. They've just rampaged through a Six Nations with a records points total. And and they, they have an attacking plan that thus far has been almost impossible to stop from any team. Now, thus far is the big point there because obviously everyone studied them and they might come up with something different, but they've been able to evolve ahead. So like Schmidt, Schmidt, Schmidt's team played incredible rugby and were incredibly successful, but at both World Cups, they kind of ran out of steam. I do think that he's setting him up to succeed. They also have a um, Gary Keegan in there, and they seem to be who's a performance coach who's very highly rated. Worked at the Dublin Footballers and a myriad of other teams. Created the Irish Boxing High Performance Unit that, that's delivered so many medals, and he seems to have a huge influence on, on there. Now these guys always get big talk talk about big when they when they're winning, and then you don't hear about them. In fact, and end them in Nulty four years ago was thrown under the bus. He was the performance coach, and as soon as they lost. They were, they were, um, he was gone. But I do think he's having an impact, and the whole, you know, O'Connell being there, there's a lot of factors that that point to the fact that I think we will get a performance from Ireland at this World Cup. I think they will give their, they will bring their best at the biggest moment, and it might not be good enough. Like we may see them come close and lose a quarter final again, but our last two quarter finals were record World Cup defeats. So, you know, our record World Cup defeat was our Argentina in 15, and then they broke that record four years ago in New Zealand. Like. You shouldn't be delivering your worst performance every four years at the most important moment. No. I think Farrell's team will embrace that. Injury permitting, there's a couple of key players they can't afford to lose. You know, in, 19, in 15, they lost five in a week, and that was a disaster. So these things can go wrong, but I do think they're being set up. I like the way, and like their momentum is coming into this World Cup. In 19, they were, they were already stumbling. They'd lost their momentum. Yeah. This time, it feels like that there's, there's a real um, momentum behind them. Yeah. Do, do you think Sexton is. A key player or Sexton? To, I mean, he's fairly, fairly injury prone, but if he gets injured in the first game or second game, do you think, think that's a key one for Ireland or maybe not so much anymore? I think I still think he's the key player, yeah. And, yeah. and that's always been my concern. And, you know, I've been writing about his replacement and what they do without him at this World Cup for four years because it, 
I don't want it to happen. I I want them to go out on a high because I I admire what he does and 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 sometimes it sounds like you're always always writing him off, but like he's 38 years old, um, he's two years older than me. Uh, sorry, two years younger than me. And you want to feel how my knees feel after a five-a-side earlier. I know he's a professional <laughs> athlete, but like he's got to be just getting to the finish line now. He's got to see. You know, it's it's hard for a 38 year old to keep going at the standards that he does to play, even though the position he is 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 very um decision based there's still a physical element especially the way he gets he, he plays the game and for him to get through having been suspended now he needs to play in three of the pool games minimum then go quarterfinal semi-final final back to back that's four weeks four five five weekends out of six against tier one nations that's very difficult that's difficult for a young player never mind a 38 year old now if he does it it'll be amazing but if he doesn't, then you're looking at Ross Byrne, who's got about 15 caps. Has had a good season, but you know, isn't the player Sexton is. Oh. And Jack Rowley, who's sitting on three or four caps, who is incredibly talented and they really rate him highly, but, and has just guided Munster to a URC title, but just doesn't have the experience in the jersey. Nothing to say he couldn't step up, but we don't have evidence to suggest that he can. And then others will have to to, to pick, pick it up around them. Yeah. And what Sexton brings above all else is that drive and leadership when he's on the pitch Ireland play better across the board they've talked about it themselves mm. he expects standards and drive standards that when he's not there they're not the same team so I think there's a like there's a load of reasons beyond his playing ability that make him a key player his goal kicking is excellent as well yeah. his, but, his, but his playing ability is very important to the team as well so I do think it, I wouldn't underestimate what he brings at all even though they have shown a bit of an ability to wean themselves off their reliance on them. Um, well, I mean, you, you've met Johnny Sexton. What, what course, was yeah. sp- spending eight weeks in a camp with Johnny Sexton? It might be quite tense. Uh, like I think he's his public persona or the way he go. Like I think when he's in the pitch or in a meeting room, he is very um, driven, demanding. Sometimes he goes yeah. over the top. Sometimes he loses his head. He's very transparent, actually. Like he, he doesn't have an ability to hide how he feels, which I, I always find quite likable about him. He's also, you know, a very empathetic human person who is good company and funny, and and like he's a good teammate. I think like he can be a bit of a pain in the in the backside when you make a mistake in training and he shouts at you. But I think the players, most of the players in the squad, grew up looking up to him. You know, like yeah, most yeah. of these players' first World Cup memories of 2011. Like he, Johnny Sexton was playing. So, you That's know, fun. like they, they, they're in all of them in some regards. Him and Keith Earls have a real presence around this camp. Um, and I think having him there for eight weeks, is it's not, he's not a sapper. He's not a negative person. He's, he, he might get on you when you make a mistake, but he's positive in terms of what the team can achieve. So that wouldn't be a concern. And, and he's like, he's good company as well. He's captain for a reason. He's not, um, yeah, yeah. like, he, yes, he's narky on the pitch, but I don't think that's a concern at all. No. And going to number nine, Gibson Park or Murray for you? What do you think? Uh, like Gibson Park, I think um, I think Murray is has adapted. I think he will play a role. He will probably start a game or two. But uh, I think over the course of the four years, Gibson Park has made that jersey his own. And Casey is coming strong as well. Like he had a really good game against Italy. He had a great finish for the month to the season for Munster, and he brings a lot of what Gibson Park brings in terms of tempo and control. So he's put Murray under pressure in the same way that Murray put um, Stringer under pressure and, and Tomas O'Leary in 2011 when he was starting out. So that brings the best out of Murray. But Farrell has huge faith in his leaders and his senior man. And, and Murray's got a, you know, he's got a hundred caps for, for a reason. And he's, he's got, he's a good record in world cups as well, Conor Murray. So I, I would expect him to play a big role, but largely off the bench. Cause I think Gibson Parks 
yeah. his tempo was very important to the way this team play. I was thinking about some dark horses and stuff, and I was wondering about Stewart from Ulster. Would he get in the squad? Do you think? I mean, he's not even in the squad yet, but I mean, Tom Stewart. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, I think he's got a good chance. Yeah, I think we're like again not to to be negative on lads, but like Ronan Keller's got a pretty poor injury record, and I think there's a bit mm. of concern about whether he can get through a tournament. Um, excellent though he is. Um, they want to bring him, but the last two years have been heavily disrupted by injury and and. You know, Stewart's like they made a cut. To, uh, we're talking on, on Wednesday night. They made a cut to the squad. Five players are gone, and Tom Stewart's still in there. So, yeah, you know, good. he's made his, his debut last week. I think he's got a shot. I th- like. I think they'll bring Callagher, Herring, and, and Sheehan if if they're all fit. But there's a there's a lingering concern about Callagher. And I, even though he's very inexperienced, I think Stewart would add something to that squad. I, I don't. I mm. I wouldn't have an, a problem with him going. I suppose line out throwing. Like he's very good at it, but he's just never done it at this level consistently across the tournament. Well, you but, know what? He's got to be Rory Best was crap at lineouts. I always thought <laughs> throwing at lineouts. He's never. I mean, that's true. I mean, anyway, that's another story. Right, so. <laughs> but uh, but it, it, in this team, I think this team scores so so frequently off. Like a lot of their scores come from lineouts. That that. But it, I don't think he's bad at it. I just think he hasn't demonstrated over the four years. And Kelleher, yeah, brings an awful lot to the table. But look, I think Stewart's in the, in the mix. I think. Um, there's three or four places up for grabs in the Ireland squad. It's not been named till Monday week, um, the day after the or the Monday after the Samoa game, but um, you know he's got it down to 38 now. There's obviously a couple of injuries, Conan, Callagher, maybe we haven't been told about them, but like you hear on the grapevine that, that, that he's got a problem. Dave Kilcoyne's got an issue, so there's um, you know, back back three, back row, second row. Hooker, there's decisions to be made, and and he's he's slowly getting there with the, the decisions. Right. Yeah, and um, so the crucial games in our uh, group, Rory, will be against the Springboks and obviously against Scotland. So, I mean, the, the last test between um, us and, and the South Africans was a pretty close one and pretty physical, um, and I'm sure we can expect the same again in Paris. And against Scotland, we've won nine out of the ten last meetings, but we'll be facing them after that game against the box, which will... Uh, no doubt, sap strength a wee bit. How do you see the group panning out in general? I think what's key is for Ireland and what what will give them some hope or um, comfort is that they there's a, there's a 14 day gap between those two games, so they can give everything against the Springboks and win or lose. They're giving the players a couple of days off to go and be with their families, and then they come back in and they they've got a time to recover. You know, it will take a toll. They'll get injuries across the way, but um that gives them some comfort in terms of being able to prepare for that Scotland game. But I really don't think you want to be going into a Scotland game as effectively a last 16 game where you have to win it, a, a straight knockout. Especially because I think Scotland, like Scotland have the capacity to take out the Springboks. I think they've been very mm-hmm. good in, in, the, in the warm-ups. The Springboks squad, unless they make late changes to it, they've named, they're missing Andre Pollard, who's really important. That game in Dublin, one of the reasons Ireland won, they weren't pretty brilliant that day, but Damien, Damien Valemsa was playing um, 10 for South Africa and he, he missed all his kicks, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, they picked him and Libok, who was the, the the Stormers out half during the URC. And, like, he's a lo- lovely player, but he's not a, you know, a quintessential Springbok out half and the way that Andre Pollard is and his goal kicking wouldn't be that more, that reliable as well. So I think there's an imbalance to the South African squad. Their captain, Sia Khaleesi, is coming in on the back of his ACL. He still hasn't played. That's a massive concern. Like they're they're carrying a, a player just for the the leadership and symbolism that he brings. So there's I have a big question marks over them. They've got brilliant players, but their squad doesn't look as balanced as it should to me. Um, Scotland looked like 
I mean, I'd fear Scotland have peaked too early a little bit that they, you know, they they just treated these. I mean, they did a lap of honor after that win over over France, and you're like, lads, it's a warm up, you know. I know it was a good game and it was a sold out stadium, and, and fair enough. But I don't want to be like Roy Keane, fumblies, but like still, you gotta, you know, have some context to these performances. But the, the away game was very impressive. Um, I do think France are behind, you know, are timing the run a little bit later. But yeah. Scotland are very good. Ireland have always had their number. Um. I think Ireland can get it out of the pool and it's all about getting, I, I think the key to that is actually beating South Africa because then you can rest up a couple for Scotland. You can give Sexton, uh, you know, 20 minutes off the bench and be, and, and still beat, like I think they can beat Scotland. They just have, if, if Scotland couldn't beat Ireland in Murrayfield during Six Nations when they'd no line-out thrower and all the issues that went on, then I'd be pretty confident yeah. that, they, that, that, that Ireland will get there this time. Well, I hope so. So are you going to all the games, Roy? Yeah, yeah, I'm over in Biwitz for the or Bayonne for the Samoa game next week. Back for a couple of days, and then I'm over in France for for two months. So any, um, any spare tickets going? Yeah. Just, uh... Do you know what I? From what I can understand from people talking to people, it seems like the hardest tournament to ever get tickets for. It seems <laughs> it like does. whatever way they've created the no is the answer. And and, and <laughs> if anyone wants to get in touch on Twitter, no will all, will be the answer. You know, unless my my um, friends and family get sort of first bullet. There, it just seems like it's. They, whatever way they've sold tickets for this tournament has been a bit of a disaster for fans but still sounds like there's a lot going over and I think Ireland the fact that it's so close to home that the next World Cup's in Australia the one after that's in America this is you know this is as good as it's yeah. going to get for for and you know we've got the world number one team going over it's it's hard for Irish people to accept the fact that we're world number one and that we we are one of the favourites for the tournament and the, the path there is very difficult but I do think there's a realistic chance of, of something special happening in the next next couple of weeks so so, um, who, if you're gonna pin your colours to the wall here, I mean, I mean, I, I Ireland have a fantastic chance, but and I'm going to bet on Ireland for sure. Like, so I think I can't see past it. If if I was put my money on the table, I'd probably go France. Um, now, Entomax a big loss, and there's a couple of injuries to go, and I, I do think Ireland have a realistic chance of doing. It. I think they're one of the top two or three. I think you could see Ireland in a final against France. You know, with a couple of things oh. going their way. Oh. And 80 minutes in the Stade de France against France in a home World Cup final. I mean, you got to remember how tight New Zealand got in 2011 when they, they only fell over the line against a terrible France team. Like the pressure yeah. that a World Cup final brings. But it would also, like, I've always had a fear that if Ireland ever won a quarter final, we get so excited that they forget to play in the semi. You know, that like <laughs> the, the dynamics of these tournaments are, are, are very tricky to predict. So, so the know. semis then flip over. So the winner. Some will say it was Ireland, New Zealand, then plays the teams from the other side, isn't it? Yeah, you'll be playing. Uh, so whoever wins those will be playing against Wales, Australia, Argentina, ah, England. Well, that's easy then, isn't and it? And so, but they they will have sailed through a relatively un, un, un you know light pool stage, whereas the teams on the other side will be battered by the the four epic yeah. test matches they've had to play. So there okay. is a, there's an argument that England could go all the way just based on the fact that they can just negotiate that, and that would be terrible because they really don't deserve it based on the four years they put together. But no, that's can't. the beauty of it. Like, it's so interesting and it's going to be, like, I think it's going to be brilliant. I mean, there's obviously the Farrell stuff we talked about earlier and things hanging over it. But once we get over there and once the, the, the thing gets underway, I think it's going to be a really good tournament. The The, the quality of the top teams is, particularly on our side of the draw, is that there's going to be some exceptional games there. And um, oh, it's fantastic. I hope, I hope the winner comes from that side of the draw because... 
it would be an awful shame if someone who basically sacked their coach six months before the World Cup and I mean, maybe they'd all start doing it every four years then it would make life more interesting. But um, <laughs> I think that, I think the quality is on on the the, the side of the draw that Ireland are on and the winner will come from there. And I would say France at this time at this point. Michael, you're a France well, yeah. You're France. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm thinking France too. Um, Rory, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you have certainly whetted our appetites. My one bit of advice to you going to France is. Never turn down the offer of food there. Good advice. Cheers, lads. Appreciate it. Right. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. No worries, lads. Cheers. Right, Terry. Obviously, that was recorded uh, a few days back, and uh, things have changed a little bit since then with regard to Owen Farrell and uh, his slap of the wrist. Yeah, it was, I mean, I think quite rightly so. He, he got a ban, um, so he's going to miss, is it the first two games of the, of the competition? Um, and Villa Pola is the same, although his was a timed ban, it said, so I think that he'll miss the same first two games. Um, so that's going to be quite tough for England, I think, actually, I can't remember their first game is, um, it's a toughie, actually. Yeah, they're playing uh, Argentina, Argentina. Yep. in Marseille, so that, that's, that'd be one to look forward to. I think that could be a bit of an away game, I mean, it's always an away game for them, but I think with even with the Argentinians and the down there, I think they'll be, the French will be supporting certainly Argentina on that one. And then England's second game is pretty straightforward, I think, after that. They play somebody they rubbish. Japan. Oh, not Japan, actually. So, yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, you know, it, their indiscipline is, is certainly going to cause them problems. But also, I think maybe the 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 build-up to the tournament in terms of Borthwick, who'd been earmarked as the, the coach from, you, you know, a coach for the future, is all of a sudden, you know, probably about 10 months before the, the tournament begins, he, he, they're then probably talking to him seriously about taking over uh, the coaching aside for, for the World Cup. And it, it's it's a bit unfair in him, I think, Terry. I mean, you know, he, he may prove us wrong, but I think that he doesn't have enough, uh, enough experience as a coach at this point. No, I think so. And obviously, he's got his sidekick, Kevin Sinfield, who was, obviously, was an ex-rugby league player, Joined Leicester with Borthwick, so they've got obviously a bit of camaraderie right there, so they're friendly and know each other. And he's certainly a good player, and he's now sort of assistant coach. And I think it's all come a bit quick. And I think their team, the England squad, it looks to me unlike Ireland, who have been building. I feel have been building to this moment and have made decisions that in the right direction. And certainly Scotland as well. I think England have just been like all over the place. Yeah. I I would agree uh, entirely. You know, they're you know they had problems. I think with um, Jones and his um, chopping and changing of the team over the years definitely dented some players' confidence. And they don't seem to know how they're supposed to play on the pitch. You know, there's a lack of leadership there. Even you know, big time uh, players like Atoje don't seem to know what to do. And then you get guys like uh, Vinopoli. Vinopola Walson back into the team mm-hmm. as the only number eight after you know fairly long term injury and that guy's not going to be match fit when it comes to um, the the latter end of the group stages, is he? Well, no, and Courtney Laws, who was captain against Fiji at the weekend. I mean, he's again a very good player. Obviously, he's been over the years, but I think he just looks like he's over the hill. But he's over the hill, but he's still maybe past his absolute peak, I would say. But um, no, very pretty poor. Um, as are Wales. Yeah, uh, I I would agree. Wales don't seem to have uh, uh, much of a clue. I think you could probably forgive them and that uh, you, you know um, 
Gatlin's job, I think, is probably to um, cut out the dead wood and prepare the the site for you know two years or four years time rather than uh, next month. Yeah, but again, that feels a bit like like the Welsh panic. They've also got Gatland on speed dial, so as soon as they need a new coach, just phone him, get him back, and he comes in and they did a terrible Six Nations. I mean, Wales could be an absolute surprise. You never know because their, their group is undoubtedly slightly lighter than the, the left-hand side of the draw, if you like, and, and the group they're in. So um, they, they, they might surprise, I guess. You never know. Yeah, and uh, we, we have had a, a number of um, more interesting uh, friendlies in the lead-up to the tournament just last weekend. We had uh, New Zealand playing um, South Africa and France against Australia. So uh, New Zealand were overwhelmed, I think it'd be fair to say, by, by the Springboks. Can we draw that much? You know, in the way of inferences in this game, Terry. I don't. I don't think so. I. I mean, I think probably people like Fiji beat England, so they'll you know they'll take that as a fantastic win. And um, but I think New Zealand, a bit like the Ireland game is a bit like that. You could tell that Ireland were not fully into it against Samoa. They were the tackles weren't as hard. They weren't kind of running as hard. Samoa were very good. It was a bit like the Man City high press. They were pushing so far up, and the weather was terrible, so it didn't really give Ireland much. Some room to kind of they, they could have gone got behind them more, but um, South Africa, yeah, this yeah, South Africa were pretty awesome, mind you. Plus, their substitution at half time bringing on seven new forwards was was quite unusual. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's unlikely to happen in the competition proper, is it? I mean, it would be a, a very risky move if they were to get an injury in the back line, then um, they, they could really be scuppered by uh, yeah. fielding too many. Um, uh, subs for the the pack, but uh, yes, certainly they've got strength and depth when it comes to the um, uh, the forwards of the backs. Maybe there's some good players. Obviously, we've seen Caden uh, uh, Moody come through, make a, a real nuisance of himself uh, in recent months, and um, they've got Manny Lebok at, at out half, who he, he's maybe not at the same level as most other international no. number tens at the moment. No, no. Um, He's maybe the weak link. Yeah, one thing that made me laugh again was um, the guy, is Alan Atoa, who plays for Leinster, and he was obviously playing for Samoa against Ireland, so that was quite interesting. But I'll tell you the one thing, it did Ireland's second 15, which is kind of what started, not what ended, because they brought on all the kind of big hitters in the second half. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't look as well drilled as you would have expected, even even against a team like Samoa and the rain and the weather and stuff, but... But again, they just looked a bit. They looked a bit out of match practice, actually. Yeah, there's also you know probably a, a reluctance to play that game at full tilt, knowing they're so close to making the tournament, and you know some have got a reputation for big tackling, and maybe they just yeah. didn't have the appetite for it. Yeah, and actually, and if you look, if you think about the the build up, and you look at Scotland, for example, Scotland had a fairly easy win against Italy, and they played France twice, did really well in both of those games, and they played Georgia because their first games against South Africa. And I think Scotland are at a higher trajectory than Ireland are as far as ready for the game. They look really ready for it. Um, and very few injuries, I think. Was that, there's nobody... I think Darcy Graham was the only one at the weekend that didn't start. So, yeah, I just I can't, can't pick it at all, really. Yeah, but, uh, you know, as you were saying to me a short while ago, um, the game isn't won in the group stages, is it? I mean, you can lose in the group stages, but uh, it is a tournament that rattles on for oh. a, a couple of months. And um, you, you you really want to have your side probably 
you know, champing at the bit, certainly, but uh, not overperforming um, in these warm-up games. No, and, you know, so it does come I mean, in starts on the 8th of September and goes on until the 20th of October. Um, and the group stages themselves go on for a month. Um, most of the games are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, which I wonder if that's got anything to do with the UEFA Champions League being on as well. Maybe not. That's just coincidence. Tuesday, Wednesday. So that's a, as for sport goes, you're going to have sport every night of the week. Um, yeah. And it's all on commercial television. It's all on ITV, isn't it, I think? So, um, yeah. I wonder how much Rory Best getting paid for that, by the way. <laughs> okay, moving on uh, swiftly. Uh, France, another good result and a good performance against Australia. Australia, once again, maybe, you know, there's an issue here in terms of selection. Is this guy, Carter Gordon, a good yeah. enough out half to be playing for them uh, and to unleash the players outside him? I'm not sure. I, I So I watched the first half of that game and I actually thought Australia did all right. Um, it was a fairly strong French team. Also, they've lost Intermac as well. So you had DuPont, uh, you know, he was looking for the pattern. I mean, the number 10 was still pretty good. The guy, Ramos... He takes the penalties, look pretty solid, and the fact was good. But but Australia didn't look awful. I mean, they kept cutting to the stands. Eddie Jones, he had this kind of vacant look in his face, <laughs> staring into space, kind of look. Um, but they didn't look terrible. And obviously, I think the end it was 33-17, so fairly comfortable. But no, Australia looked, I mean, they'll not be they'll not be a walkover, I wouldn't have thought. Um, no, for sure. So no, uh, and France, I mean, irrespective of of, of um, Antomac being ruled out with injury and, and Cyril Bayou, uh, the prop, is also at, out for, you know, certainly five or six weeks. So they're down a couple of heads, but you, you get the impression that's not really going to be too significant for France. No, time. and you look at France's fixtures, I mean, it's the perfect World Cup. So they start off on the Friday night with New Zealand in Paris. So at home against a team who are not great, and then they've got Italy, Uruguay, and Namibia, and they'll 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 walk all the other games. Um, whereas you know, so Wales have got Australia, Fiji, Georgia, Portugal. So Wales could do all right. Um, so I think I think France will be cruising, resting all their key players, and then they'll be fresh for the knockout. So yeah, uh, well, certainly playing uh, the All Blacks first is definitely in their favour. And I mean, we, we we talked in the interview with Rory about. Um, uh, this being a significant game, uh, but actually after New Zealand's performance against South Africa, it's probably not that significant. No, I, th- I think it's. A good, I mean, I'm sure it'll be a good game, but I think, I think, I think France won't walk it. But I think France will win almost certainly. I think, yeah, I think they're bound to win. I was speaking to a French guy today, and he was so convinced that France were going to win quite, quite easily. I mean, literally. <laughs> <laughs> like falling over me to say it was going to be 40 nil or something, and I'm like, oh, hang on, I mean, the other will be what to put a good performance on. And also, the games are quite late, it's nine o'clock in France, the kickoff time seems is that because they want to make it for for the for New Zealand, maybe is that what it is, or it seems, seems very late? Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, there'll be a big crowd watching that, Terry. I think it'd be fair to say, absolutely, massive, Saturday's yeah. games, Saturday's games, a bit of a mixed bag. You've got Italy against Namibia. Ireland playing Romania and Bordeaux. Uh, I don't think we need to say too much about that. Australia against Georgia. I don't see any upset there. But the England-Argentina game is going to be uh, a corker, I think. I, th- I think that's going to be a tough... I think Argentina will win. I think they'll beat England in that game. They'll come out hard. Um, yeah. And then that's going to put England right up against it, I think. For, for the yeah, re- the Las Malvinas derby. <laughs> well, I wonder how long it'll be before ITV bring that out. 
We'll start, we'll start off with a picture of Goose Green or something and then cut to General Pinochet and then back to Thatcher and then the Johnny Johnny Wilkerson will end up their montage with a drop goal. So but oh god, yeah. Yeah, But arguably the best game of the first weekend, I think, is South Africa Scotland on Sunday tea time. Yeah, I think that's going to be uh, a cracker. I think Scotland will be up for it uh, in a major way. And, uh, you know, uh, New Zealand were maybe not that accurate when it came to uh, rocks and stuff like that. And they get, they, they were just a bit slow and I think gave the Springboks the opportunity to uh, get, get men over the ball. And uh, I don't think Scotland will do that. I think that it would be a proper fight at the breakdown. And uh, I think it would be a much closer game than um, the, the game against the All Blacks. Oh, I think so. I think Scotland, I mean, I think they probably had to put money on it. I'd probably still bet on South Africa to win, but maybe certainly between five, seven points. Maybe it's not going to be a massive walk-over, I don't think. Scotland. Yeah, and I think I think maybe what we may see from Scotland is an attempt to keep the ball in play and uh, avoid set pieces because you know there's no doubt that uh, uh, South Africa have got a good um, set piece in terms of scrum and line out. But these big guys, if they're made run around the pitch all, uh, all mm. you know, for forty minutes, they're not going to like that very much. No, no, I think so. I think that's a big good, and I, I think I just got a feeling. I've got a feeling Scotland are going to be better than expected. Yeah, I definitely think. But yeah, I just, I just can't, I just don't know. Actually, I'm not, I haven't seen, seen South Africa play live for a couple of years, and but they're just like, yeah, a good team. But and of course they're the holders as well, so they're going to want to come out. But it's very rarely the holders win it again. So especially in Europe, so ah, fingers crossed for that. So. Yeah, and the, the final game of the weekend is, well, potential for an upset. I think Wales against Fiji. Fiji are, are kind of <laughs> neck and neck with them in the the world standings at the moment and are just off the back of a, a good win against England. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But I, 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 that was in Bordeaux, Bordeaux wasn't applying, but I can see I can see Wales losing that one. I don't know, actually. It could be. Yeah, it could be, maybe. I'm going for Fiji in that one. I don't think Wales have got the form. I think uh, uh, Fiji's tails will be up after beating England, and they'll probably think, well, it'd be a similar experience to uh, uh, you know playing Wales as opposed to playing England. Much, much, and much as far as I, I, I mean, it's interesting. Just look at that. Just look at the fixtures here. If you look at the second weekend of the games, the second sort of phrase, there's really nothing in that that's going to cause any issues for any of the home teams. England play Japan. That's the only one I think which. Could be interesting. So that goes goes back to when Eddie Jones was the coach of Japan. But they've almost like yeah, Australia, Fiji. Yeah, none of those games are particularly. ITV could lose a lot of viewers to strictly come down to <laughs> that point. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> I think. But um, no, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think it's it's pretty. I think it's going to be. I think it is pretty open. I think there's no doubt that the, when we talk about it. Why the pools are the way they are because it was drawn a long time ago. So the pool A and B, which is the New Zealand, uh, France, Ireland, Scotland, South Africa are the much stronger side. Um, so the winner will come from one of those two groups. I can't, I can't see anybody else winning it on the other side. Wales, England, Australia. Nah. Yeah. So uh, you've had the opportunity to uh, ponder this since we spoke to Rory. Who are you going for to win the tournament out right now, Terry? I, I think uh, money would have to go on France. I think it probably... I mean, I'd love... I'd like... <laughs> I mean, if Ireland gets gets the semi-finals, really, this is a ridiculous thing to say, if Ireland gets the semi-finals, they could win. Obviously, yes, when they get there. But you know what I mean? If they've got to there, they've 
played the quarterfinals against France or New Zealand. They've beaten them. I think, you know, that could be it. I think they could really do it. Scotland could surprise. Um, but I think France at home, very partisan crowds everywhere they play. French are big into rugby as well. So um, and there'll be nobody watching Paris Saint-Germain recently. In the next couple of weeks, I wouldn't have thought. No. Um, so, yeah, Fran- I think France. What about yourself? Yeah, likewise, uh, I can't see past them. I think that, uh, um, you know, if there is one team that's been building up uh, for this tournament um, and, you know, that that's really the the reason the, the coach was appointed and uh, there's so much money behind the team now that managed to uh, get the, the club game to roll over and have its belly tickled and get plenty of time off for these players so they'll be pretty fresh yeah. and uh, w- well prepared. Yeah. I don't think this is going to affect it. It was interesting. Obviously, we've got a chat with Riri we just listened to, but he, he tweeted today or yesterday, was it? No, Sunday was the team launch, the squad launch. He said there's a distinct lack of razzmatazz about the about the announcement. And he thought that was down to the key and Healy injury, that maybe they, they were a bit kind of flat because of that, because he would have been a you know a key player for them um, going forward. Obviously, very disappointing for him. Um, but he thought that was all a bit flat. But I think that's just how they go. They don't, they're not into razzmatazz. They're not into... Yeah, I don't think Sexton does happy, happy, joy, joy sort of thing. Uh, maybe not. Um, I mean, the big danger is obviously if, um, uh, you know, Balaam gets injured or uh, if Jeremy Lockman is who, um, you know, replacing Haley in the squad, if, if one of those guys gets injured, I just wonder who, who who we would be able to call up, who'd be of any decent quality, you know? I, I, assume, you can, I assume you can bring in a replacement if someone gets injured. I think so. Well, well for yeah. a technical position like that, I think he would be. Able I, I to wondered do. if the guy Tom Stewart, who didn't do particularly well in the first half against Samoa, his line out throwing was hmm, not really good at all, but I looked a bit nervous. I wonder if he would be like, that's why he played. Maybe he's a kind of a call up kind of person. Um, and then Earls could get injured quite easily. Then you've got maybe Stockdale would come in. Maybe Stockdale did okay, actually. I felt a bit sorry for him. He played yeah. with me, actually. So, but um, yeah, should be good. Good. Okay. Uh, well, the tournament starts this Friday. Uh, we'll be sitting down with uh, pints of Guinness and packets of Tato to enjoy that, Terry, no doubt. <laughs> I, I, must, I must go and buy some Guinness, actually, especially the coffee one. I quite like the coffee one. No, that's that, that's uh, absolute heresy. I, I, I don't want to talk to you again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure every pub in the land will be showing it because it's on free telly, so I don't have to pay for a, a Sky subscription to watch it. So I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be busy. My mum was grumpy because it's going to take the place of Coronation Street probably some nights for her. So, <laughs> um, but, um, I think it should be good. I'm quite excited. And, and hopefully hopefully the team in green do come out on top. I've got my flag at work now, so we're getting upset already. Good, good. That's the way it should be. Great. Okay, uh, well, we will be back to uh, chew the fat over some of these results in due course and uh, preview one of the forthcoming rounds. Um, who knows? We might even have a guest, Terry. Then we, we are. might not. I think we do. So, yeah, chat soon. Great. Till the next time.